some of the key ones that were really important to the family uh, was the idea of access to immediate and ongoing um, financial and uh, psychological, you know, uh, psychiatric supports for families who've lost loved ones in interactions with police. The death of 18-year-old Sammy Yatim occurred over 10 years ago, July 2013. Yatim was on a streetcar armed with a switchblade knife. There had been a call to police that there was someone on public transit being menacing, dangerous. You can find those videos online of that incident. can't believe it was 11 years ago. Remember it like it was yesterday. And that those videos were played on loop. Back then, everybody saw them many times. And of course, during the trial that Constable James Fursillo underwent, charged with second-degree murder, he was later found not guilty of second-degree murder and manslaughter, but guilty of attempted murder. Sammy Yatim was shot at nine times and was hit by eight of the shots fired by then 30-year-old Toronto Police Service Officer James Fursillo. After being shot while lying on the floor of the streetcar, he was tasered. He later died from his injuries. The incident occurred after your team brandished that knife, advanced on a passenger, threatened other passengers, and exposed himself. Now, this confrontation, this interaction, the death of Sammy Team created considerable debate, disagreement, among many people in Toronto and beyond, spurred, yes, that court case. James Frasillo found guilty of attempted murder. His appeal later was denied, and he was granted parole after serving two years in prison. The incident was the only time an on-duty Ontario officer was charged and convicted in the death of a person since the inception of the SIU Special Investigations Unit in 1990. And the story haunts us still, because a juror's recommendations following a coroner's inquest has been released, and there are 63 recommendations that have been put forward that have been released in terms of what to learn from this, what to do next. And the jury's recommendations touch on issues such as officer training and monitoring, peer intervention and mental health supports for officers and family members of those killed or seriously injured by police. Now, many of these recommendations are actually a slate of joint proposals from the parties involved in the inquest, which include Sammy Team's family, his relatives, the Toronto Police Services Board, and the Toronto Transit Commission. For more on his perspective on this and, and how police services may be viewing this, we're joined now by Hank Itzinga, who is 640 Toronto Crime Specialist and a former Toronto Police Inspector. Hank, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Hi, good morning, Anthony. How are you? I, I'm 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 doing well. I know this is an issue that uh, you and your force covered, followed, were involved in extensively for yes, in the moment in the days following, but clearly still for a decade afterwards. What do these jury recommendations mean to you? What what do you take away from where we're at now in this saga? Well, like you said, uh, you made a good point. It's been ten, eleven years since the uh, since the incident heard and it can't be easy for Sammy's family to have to go through this again but the recommendations certainly touch on some issues that are no doubt going to help uh, the Yatim family as well as families in the future who are affected by uh, incidents like this where people lose their lives because of an inter- interaction with police so the jury's mandate was very very tight uh, you know they didn't want to look back at uh, the history 
of the incident and, and what led up to the incident that was already dealt with in the, the uh, criminal court case. But they were to look at how can we potentially save lives in the future when dealing with interactions between those in mental crisis and, and the police who respond. So, Hank, before we go into details of some of these recommendations, can you take us back to that day and the immediate aftermath? Because I know that police officers were divided in many respects on all of this. Most of them obviously not speaking publicly, doing punditry on it, because that's not their job. But I knew word on the street was that officers were all, were naturally talking about what happened. Many felt like um, while they were never interested in throwing any of their colleagues under the bus, they did really feel like the situation could have been handled better. That while they acknowledged there was a real public safety issue with how Sammy team was behaving that way, they did feel like uh, more experienced, more mature officers could have dealt with it in a different way. And I don't disagree. Uh, I think the outcome could have been different depending on which officers responded. Uh, it was unfortunately a, a, a collision of uh, some factors which resulted in Sammy Yatim losing his life. Uh, the chief at the time, as I recall, suspended uh, James Forchillo right off the bat. Uh, and there's a lot of divide in, in opinions. Um, at the end of the criminal proceedings, remember, uh, Forchillo was actually acquitted of the murder. So the jury agreed that he was justified in firing that first volley of shots. And I don't know if most police officers would agree with that. Hmm. Um, and what he was convicted of was that second volley of the attempted murder while Sammy was was already incapacitated on the, uh, on the floor of the streetcar. So... There was a lot of discussion around it at the time. I don't know that there was a lot of debate around it at the time because I think the vast majority of police officers felt that that could have been handled differently. And walk me through the nuts and bolts of protocol in that what would or could a more experienced officer have done in that moment to avoid this outcome? Well, I think uh, de-escalation, uh, and that's really become a key in training since this incident, right? Uh, police officers are expected to respond, are expected to intervene and, and protect the public. But caught in a situation like that, where you've got a, a young man obviously having a mental crisis uh, in a what became a secluded area once all the passengers were off the streetcar, um, the key... In that, at that point, is the de-escalation something as simple as you know, hey, what's your name? Uh, I, I'm James, and you know, I, I see you're having some issues here, and how can I help? How can we? Uh, how can we get you safely off that streetcar? So, uh, I think your team was confined in that streetcar. Now, would you want him getting behind the controls of that streetcar? At that point in time, that's something you have to consider. Uh, do you want him getting off that streetcar? There's all sorts of things happening very, very quickly. But the key at that point in time would be de-escalation. And having a young officer at that point in time being the point person uh, dealing with it, as opposed to, like you said, maybe a 50-year-old, more experienced veteran officer uh, could have made the difference that day. Hank Nzinga is with us, 640 Toronto Crime Specialist and former Toronto Police Inspector, responding to the jurors' 
uh, Coroner's Inquest 63 recommendations related to the death of Sammy Yatim. One sort of headline item here, Hank, I want to get your thoughts on, calling for ensuring that peer intervention training become a mandatory component of the annual recertification training officers receive. Would also stress that officers have a duty to intervene when witnessing misconduct. I'm not sure how that plays out in practice. The idea that, like, if officers end up almost like bickering between each other while responding to an incident, there's a bit of a, a confidence collapse there. I think it's that another officer should should have said to uh, James Fursillo, "Okay, hold on there, son. Like, take a step back. Can that be done in practice?" Uh, it can be done, and I, I, I've seen it be done. Uh, in this particular instance, I don't know that there was ever any opportunity to even do that. Uh, you saw in the video some officers holstered their weapons, uh, so no doubt they were thinking along those lines, but there mm. may not have been enough time to react and do something like that, and it would have responded uh, we we don't know that and right. as well uh, like I said he was found by the jury to be justified in firing that first volley of shots so there'd be an argument the other way as well if someone did try and intervene uh, at that point in time I, I think it's a it's a great idea the the more training and the more enhanced the training the better and the training, uh, through my 34 years of uh, use of force training and policing, many times is you draw your gun out, and then in the in the range, in the firing range where you're doing that, the instructor will say either threat or disengage. Right. And you've got it, there's equal opportunity to put that gun away or fire that gun. So that's always been in place for use of force. Now the intervention piece of it is uh, will be a, uh, I think, a welcome addition to the training. All right, there we have it, and and this is why we have you as our six forty Toronto crime specialist because those sort of uh, particular expert insights are very viable. We got to leave it there. But Hank and Zinga, thanks very much for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me on.